DJ and PK brought to you in part by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now where you can save thousands on a new roof. Call Pam 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. We're joined now by our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. So, the Jazz are the one seed. They've got the best record in the NBA. If you read a hundred pundits, doesn't matter, ex-coaches, ex-players, longtime beat writers, TV talking heads, a mix of all of those, a hundred of them, how many of the hundred do you think would pick the Jazz to win it all? Today? Today. Or before, before no, the today, started. right now. Now that they've seen the regular season, and you got to pick on Monday before you see any playing games. Right now. Right. I'm saying none. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> now, if we're including, you know, Utah pundits and you know folks like yourself and people there who are going to have a great love for the. I mean, but I'm just saying that the national. I was pundits, thinking national. I was thinking national. Yeah. yeah. Okay, now I, I would probably say none. All right, so then how much does that drive you? I don't want to overstate it, but there's got to be something there for the coaches and the players. Well, I, I, I mean, I think it's um, great locker room stuff. You know, I mean, you have the best record in the league. You have your leading scorer doesn't play for a month or so, and you still finish with the best record. I, I think you just quietly go about business and uh, – this is, a, this is a confident group, and uh, the, the, we can think of a lot of reasons why they wouldn't consider the Jazz a team that could do that. But when you look at it, you've got, you've probably got the defensive player of the year. You've got the sixth man of the year. You've got a young guard that is capable of scoring 30 on a given night. And I, in, in my mind, uh, I know a guy like Thibodeau may end up being the coach of the year because they like the – give that award to coaches that have had big turnarounds, but Quinn Snyder is the coach of the year, and it's not even close. And so all of those things, and just the chemistry of the team and the interchangeable parts and the ability to shoot the ball, uh, you know, no, nobody plays together better than that deep place. And that, that goes to that, not just Quinn, but his coaching staff and everybody involved in the program. So, uh, yeah, there's not going to be a lot of love and respect. And you know what? It'll become an amazing story when they're in the finals and playing and, and doing things that people never thought they could do. And they're, they're capable of it. I mean, every team in the NBA today has weaknesses and issues and clouds hanging over them, whether they're injuries or guys trying to get healthy or haven't been playing well. And, I, I mean, the, when you think about the Jazz, they just kind of went, went about their business. I mean, at, at, Few times they don't have Conley uh, or Williams. I mean, they're playing without the, you know two two of their lead guards. So everything they've done has uh, been worthy of Coach of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. You know, and I, you know those kinds of things uh, just just had a special season. So, but they're going to have to earn it, and uh, it's just the nature of it. You know. It's, I don't know if it's about a big market or whatever the nature of that thing is, but at the end of the day, anybody who watches the game knows this is a really, really good basketball team. So I wanted to talk to you about the intensity and the focus and how it ramps up in the postseason versus the regular season. And I'm going to throw an example at you. I can remember when I was covering the Utes, 
and Majerus wasn't available on Selection Sunday. He was doing some national stuff, and he told me, he said, hey, just talk to me. I'll provide some quotes for the sports information, but if you need to talk to me, I'll be available um, around 1 o'clock on Monday, the following day after Selection Sunday. So, okay, fine. So I call him up Monday, and, and he answers, and we had almost set it up, and, man, he was so cantankerous. And, and like we didn't have the best relationship, as everybody knows, but he was on steroids at that point. And I'm saying, Rick, what is going on? And he told me that his book got released and he had a book signing like at 10 o'clock at the student library or bookstore or something. And he said he thought it would be about 20 minutes. And it lasted two and a half hours that he couldn't devote to studying film for the opponent that they were going to play. So he was so wired and just so agitated. And my thought for you is now that these guys have finished the regular season, they go into the postseason, how much does it ramp up in intensity and time becomes so short because of what you're trying to accomplish? Well, I think there's two thoughts come to my mind. The first thought is that from the perspective of the media, it is, you know, it's a frenzy for all of you. I mean, you're, everybody's trying to cover a story, cover a guy, cover a scenario, and, and it, it is like a beehive, you know. Uh, I think for most coaches, uh, they, they try to insulate themselves. And you, 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 know, you say yes to certain things, but at, at the end of the day, your your commitment has to be to your team and to your guys, and you can get caught up in that. And, and, and most NBA coaches who have been around, they're they're not going to get distracted by the media. Okay, they're they're there, ever present, and anywhere they turn for the entire year. So, uh, I, I think you're you're talking about NBA coaches who number one know where the focus should be, and that should be spending time with the team and watching film and doing those kinds of things. Does, is it hard to do? Yeah, because I, I think there's mandated things that the NBA says, hey, coaches have to do this, players have to do so many interviews. And, and, and sometimes when you mandate things, you don't get a great interview. <laughs> and uh, so they just kind of want to get through it. But I think this is a time that coaches protect players and players protect players, and it, the, the focus is on the task at hand, who they're playing, what the matchup is. You know, and it's not like we live in a world of, Twitter and Instagram and and social media where these players are impacted by it. I mean, they they, they drive it. Uh, they get involved, and they're the ones that have to be really careful. You know, if I'm a coach, I'm going, hey, you know what? Also, we're off social media here. <laughs> now, you know what? That that's an old school deal. Maybe maybe they just they wouldn't do it, but that can be pretty distracting as well. You know, I think the social media can be more distracting than maybe a. a a really relentless recorder, a reporter who's trying to get a story and get a thought. Uh, with, the, with the younger people today, that's a big part of their life, and that can, that can be a distraction. And we've seen that throughout the last few years, and you see tweets and things coming from players from, you know, in the locker room, on the bench sometimes, which I just can't even believe, to lots and lots of stuff that happened between games. So that, for me, if I'm a coach, you know, that, that social media, we'll turn it off, shut it off, shut it down. You, you've got, they all have people that do that for them anyway. And, uh, but for them to be personally involved in it is a really good way to get distracted and forget about why they're there. 
Yeah, I think that the <clears throat> this generation of players is way more influenced by social media than they are by media. They're not they're not watching local sportscasts, listening to local talk shows, and reading the local paper. I, I think yep. way more, way more social media impact on their lives. I'm curious what you think about the Warriors. I mean, they, they sit in eighth, obviously with a playing tournament. The Jazz may not get them, but I think there's a decent chance they will. Wiseman, uh, his last game was April 10th against Houston, and they won because Houston uh, you know, is a disaster at this point in the season. So Wiseman's done for the year at that point, and the Warriors go 15-5 and five in their final 20 games. Is it as easy as saying there's a young guy – who just defensively and offensively just couldn't read stuff on the fly and was a step slow, and it really hurt them. And now they're a much better team, and 15-5 and five suggests they might be able to do some serious damage in the playoffs. Are we over and selling the Warriors, or do you think that's true? Uh, you know, I don't think we're overselling the Warriors when probably the MVP, you know, I mean, could, could, I mean he's maybe not going to get the award, but, I mean, Steph Curry is – is had just a spectacular year, and I think Draymond Green has really got comfortable with this kind of point forward position. And to me, there are a lot of people involved. But has Wiggins had a better year in the NBA than he's had this year? I'm not necessarily saying statistically, but he seems he's like he's in a really, really, really good place. And he's a talent. I, I, I believe was he the number one pick? He was in, in, coming yeah. out of the draft. Cleveland, yeah. 2014, number one pick. Yeah, and the influence I think of Green and uh, and, and, and Curry around him and, and Coach Kerr and, and others, uh, it, it's it's just been really really cool to see. And, and that guy has uh, really taken the wrath of the media over the years and underachieved. And you know he gets into a new environment. And uh, all of a sudden, with a good culture, and there's not all that nonsense, and he gets, in, and it just brings the best out of him. So, I mean, he's a guy that can go 20, 25 on any given night, and he's not forcing it. He's letting it come to him. He's playing with experienced guys. I, I think, for me, uh, certainly, you know, you're, you, Curry and, and Raymond are the kind of the foundation of that team from leadership perspective, but Wiggins, I think, has been really, really special. And I uh, I mean, they've got obviously a, a, a cast of people that not everybody knows, but uh, Baysmore and Poole, they've had, they've had opportunities to come in and, and make a difference. I mean, they've just kind of done it piece by piece and put it in together, but Steph has been incredible. But I, I really believe that Wiggins He's had a great year, and uh, he needs he needs credit for that too. I mean, all the abuse he's taken over the years that he's underachieved. He's had a this is his best year in the NBA, as far as I'm concerned. So it was clear the Clippers wanted to finish in fourth. They did not want to finish third. If that's uh, seating purposes or whatnot, whatever that might be, and because they didn't play their stars the last couple of ball games, I, what's your thought on far as? kind of adjusting where you want to be as opposed to trying to win as many games as you can and let the chips fall? Well, <laughs> I'm sure the Clippers don't want to play the Lakers, you know, immediately. And and that and then kind of that uh, that process that they went through kind of eliminated that. Uh, 
you know, I've, I've never been in a situation where, you know, you're not playing your guys. You're, I mean, I've just, I've just never been in a situation where we're going to rest our guys tonight and make sure they're ready for the NC2As. So that's not something my mindset has ever been able to wrap around. But it is something that's very common in the NBA. And uh, you know what? Uh, they've had guys hurt. I mean, a lot of people hurt this year uh, due to probably playing three and four games a week and whatever all the other circumstances are. So, you know, protecting guys – uh, and then also the benefit of getting in the right bracket and getting in the right spot, um, you know, it works. I, I don't. I, I guess. The, I guess the Clippers are going to probably play the Mavs. I don't. I don't. I don't know what the matchups have been during the year. I really haven't studied that. Um, but at, but at the end of the day, uh, the, you know, the Clippers probably like the idea of playing the Mavs and then having Utah in the second round. If, uh, uh, if you know, they feel like they can beat both those teams, get to the finals, and then if it's the Lakers or you know, Denver or whoever it might be, Portland, um, they feel like they haven't had to just go through, uh, you know, barrier of walls to get to the finals. I, I, I think that's probably what they're thinking. Um, and, you know, Utah sitting on a 3-1 lead last year. They've got that on their mind. They're very focused. They're, you know, they're going to be ready to go. And, and uh, you know, playing if, if Golden State and Utah play, you know what? Nothing, that's not going to be an easy test. I mean, you, you've got veteran guys, and uh, I don't know where uh, Donovan Mitchell is and what his circumstances are. He's ready to go. I mean, I see Utah in a situation where they, they you know, they got to get to the finals. They, to, for Utah to validate what they're doing, you know, beating Golden State is obviously something that can happen. Beating the Clippers, I, you know, I, I believe that Utah has – uh, chemistry and talent and enough shooters to beat the Clippers and the Clippers have been up and down anyway. So I think Utah's in the right bracket and, uh, and a, a chance to get, get to the, you know, the Western finals. So, uh, yeah, the idea of not playing guys to get to a certain bracket, I, I guess that's just the world we live in. I just never lived in that world before. I mean, you're trying to win every game. You're old school, Steve. You're old school, and there's yeah. nothing anyone's going to do about it. So, and, and with the emphasis on old. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm big into the history of the NBA, and PK, well, first off, he knows that. And second, usually he gives me some slack on that because there's just some proof that this is how things work. But sometimes he wants to crush me on this, and I'm curious because I'm even doubting myself on this. And maybe this year is just totally bizarre. But I'm looking at the last 30 years in the NBA, and the one or the two seed out of the West goes to the NBA Finals. That's the way it is. There's only three three seeds in 30 years have gone. No four or five seeds. And then one six seed, the Rockets back in 95. Like, one and two seeds have gone 26 of the last 30. So, Jazz and Suns, Knowing that, Jazz and Suns or the field, I'm thinking everybody's taking the field, although NBA history says that's not how it works. I, I agree with you that everyone's taking the field. And um, the fact that there have been so many intangibles with COVID, with four games a week, with coming out of, uh, you know, a year where there was a short, there's been nothing normal about the last two years of the NBA. So if there was ever going to be something that goes against those statistics and the fact that the one and two seeds always seem to get there, 
this isn't a normal year. This is an abnormal year where guys have had to sit not just for injuries but for protocol and COVID and all the other things. So if there was ever going to be an exception to this, David, I would say this is probably the year, not because it's the Jazz and the Suns, but because it wouldn't matter. I mean, I, I just think so many things have happened. Um, you know, matchups mean everything. And, uh, you know, I, I know from, uh, it, you know, Los Angeles, if you're looking preseason, you know, you're looking at the Lakers. I mean, they won the league. You know, they come back. They have injuries. They underperform in games. You know, they, they don't have a great season. Uh, can they get healthy enough? I, you know what? I don't think the Lakers are going to have an issue playing the Suns. I mean, I think they, in their minds that they can beat the Suns in, in a seven-game playoff, even when they don't have home court advantage. Uh, I, I think the Ed's I, I think there's going to be a lot of people in the arena in, in Salt Lake City. I mean, I know that some of the places. I mean, who, I, I can't know somebody. Uh, oh my gosh, I can't. One of the NBA teams hadn't even really had uh, fans in, in the arena yet, but I, I think the the Jazz are going to be somebody that you know. It's been, the protocols and all that kind of thing have, have been a part of their program as well, but I, I believe that they're going to have eight or 10,000 people. Having a home court advantage will be really important. But, uh, yeah, I, I, say, I, I picked the field as well just because there's just too many unknowns, too many unknowns. Yes, Utah has proven that they have been the best team all year, and there's nothing to suggest that they can, can't continue playing that way especially when you know they're going to have the home court advantage in every setting. So uh, you can't discount it, but I just think with all uh, the unknowns that have taken place here, uh, it's up for grabs. It's up for grabs, and, and somebody – I mean, who thought Miami was going to be in the finals last year in the bubble? Okay, and then all of a sudden they, they, you know, they play their way into the finals and, and, and make it scary for the Lakers. I mean, I don't know who that team's going to be. Is it going to be a New York Knicks team? who all of a sudden just gets hot. They got so much confidence. They have no pressure whatsoever. Uh, you know, or, or is, it a, is it a team like Portland who kills Denver the other night and all of a sudden Portland finally gets healthy and gets going, you know, and you got those shooters and Portland's not a team I want to play. I mean, it won't surprise me at all if Portland beats Denver in, in, uh, in the first round. And, uh, but you never know. It, it, it's going to be crazy, but – I, I still like Utah's chances just because they're the most complete team in the league, uh, and uh, they share the ball. Uh, they got a litany of shooters, high IQ, well coached, good chemistry. I mean, th- this is the year for Utah, and but the the, the road is not going to be easy, and there'll be way more pressure on Utah on this goal. Golden State's going to come into that game if they get through the playing stuff, and I'm assuming they will. That. Uh, that's a tough test for Utah. I mean, it, it, it's not a, it, certainly Utah is a better team, has more size, and you know has has more experience. Um, I will say this: I believe when it's all said and done, that Jordan Clarkson um, will be the key to the Jazz winning the NBA championship. I mean, uh, all the starters, all those things, but this guy's had some incredible. He continues to play like he's been playing. Um, it really puts the Jazz in a position to win an NBA championship. He, he's just been amazing. I, every time I've watched him, I mean, it, he's, uh, he does things that really, really help that team off the bench. Steve, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and talking a little basketball, and we will talk to you again next week. Yeah. Talk to you guys. It'll be fun to watch the games. Yep.
Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. When we come back, pondering everything Steve said and our own spin on the playoffs, and we will get to that next. Stay with us.